The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. Today's show, we're going to review the T-Grays match and some other Austin FC news from this week. We'll also preview the Seattle Sounders match on Thursday with uh, Jeremiah O'Shan from SB Nation and Sounder at Heart. My name is Landon Cottom. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley and have a reason for once to make sure my last name is included in the show because yeah. <laughs> you, you have multiple Jeremiahs this week. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do during this interview, but uh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So, Jeremiah, I wanted to start this week out with a little quiz, and I'm going to put you on the spot because you didn't know we were doing this until a couple of minutes ago, and you don't even know what the questions are. And so uh, I was just kind of flipping through team stats and kind of seeing who were Austin FC's leaders in certain stats. And so I'm just going to go through some of these categories and see if you can guess okay. who are leaders, or in some cases, maybe who's second or third in some of these stats. So Okay. Can we start with saves? Yeah. Who, who, who has the most saves? Uh, Brad Stuver. <laughs> and I was going to say who has second most, but nobody. Nobody has, else has. He has all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, Tarbell made a couple in the Tigres match, but those aren't official. So, uh, all right. So first stat I wanted to look at is most minutes played, which I think the... Number one answer is easy, right? But that's Stu- Stuver's got to be the number one answer, correct? Yeah. Who is number two? Cecilio Dominguez. That's correct. Yeah, Cecilio ah. Dominguez followed by Matt Beasler, and then John Kolmanich is not not far behind him. Which for Kolmanich um, is interesting because you know he wasn't he wasn't originally our starter, right? He's got right. a whole match <laughs> yeah. plus where he didn't play. Yeah. Um, the next one I thought was interesting is key passes. So key passes is. It's a pass that leads to a shot that does not lead to a goal. So it's like a would-be assist. If if they had finished it, it would be an assist. So who is Austin FC's leader in key passes? This I have no idea. So I'm going to go with uh, Tomas Pochettino. It's actually Jean Kolmanich again. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 19 key passes for Jean. Uh, number two is Diego Fagundes with 17. Cecilio with 15. Pochettino with 13. Wow. Go Jean. Yeah. I thought that one was, was uh, impressive. Uh, let's look at... These are interesting stats here. So fouls suffered. Which Austin FC player has been fouled the most this season? Cecilio Dominguez. That's correct. All 23 right. fouls. Pochettino and Ring are tied for second with 14. Uh, fouls committed. Who has committed the most fouls? Uh, I feel like Alex Ring. He is tied for ah. someone else. Who is he tied with? I mean, I feel like Pereira makes a lot of fouls, but he hasn't played <laughs> a lot. Is it really? That's right. Oh, yeah, wow. it's Pereira. <laughs> He's pretty uh, efficient. Yeah. Maybe he makes this next one a little bit too easy, but who has the most yellow cards? <laughs> Danny Pereira? Danny Pereira has four yellow cards. Johan Romagna has, uh, has three yellow cards, each of them with... Uh, Pereira has 538 minutes played. Johan has 585 minutes. So about half as many minutes, less than half as some of these other guys, but with le- leading the team in yellow cards so far. So I believe if Pereira gets one more, he's going to be suspended for a match. Isn't that right? Is it five? Fou- I think it's five, yellow- five yellows. 
Yeah, it is five because somebody just hit that. Uh, this this week in the game I was watching, they had, they got their fifth. Yep. Yeah. So, oh, it was uh, I think Javier Arriaga, which we'll talk about with Jeremiah Oshan. I think he just got his fifth yellow card of the season. But we'll talk we'll talk to Jeremiah Oshan about that whenever whenever we pull him on. Um, let's see. Let's do one more. So defensively, interceptions. Who is leading the team? Or leading, yeah, leading the team in interceptions. Julio Cascante. Julio Cascante is in third place. Oh. Then Alex Ring. Alex, no, Alex Ring's in second place. First place, uh, Matt, Matt Beasler. Matt Beasler, okay. Yeah, he's kind of the the king of, n- not the fastest player getting getting up there in age, but seems to always be in the right spot at the right time. So getting that stat for sure. Um there was one more. Let's look at this one as well. So I'm going to go into passing stats here. So they have it separated into um, number of passes. So like passes completed. I feel like this one, the first three, who, who are the top three? So Ring's got to be one of them. Yeah. Uh, Beasler's one of them. Mm-hmm. And who does Beasler pass it to half the time? <laughs> um. Uh, well, his partner. Um, yeah, it's Julio yeah, Cascante. Cascante, yeah. <laughs> so those three are their top three, but they have it split up into passes in the opponent's half versus passes in your own half. So passes in the opponent's half, uh, Alex Ring is also the leader there, because which makes sense. He He's the one crossing that midfield line a lot of times with the ball. Who's number two in that, in that stat? Who has the second most passes in the opposition half? I'm gonna guess our man Diego. You're right, Diego Fagundes. Oh man, wow. <laughs> you're you're on fire, Jeremiah. I did way better than I expected. You killed that. You. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah. I, I, and the the goal of this exercise was not to put you on the spot by any means, but you 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 did great in that. So congratulations. I'll I'll have to think of a prize for you. I don't think I'll take the rest of the show off. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, let's jump into this Tigres match from last Tuesday. It was Tuesday, wasn't it? Which I don't know about you, but that was like too early in the week for me. I've kind of been enjoying these these midweek games, like these Wednesdays and Thursdays. It breaks up the week, gives you something to look forward to midweek. Uh, this Tuesday one was too early. I felt like the weekend should have arrived much sooner after this game. Yeah. It it did, and then it kind of threw off like the the well, it threw off our schedule because then our show came out the day that the day of the yeah. match. <laughs> um, but I think like the press conference schedule is a little off, and it was just a different kind of week, and it left this huge gap um, without an Austin FC match too, which I did not love. It's uh, I didn't didn't realize how quickly I would get used to having a game every few days and 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 not enjoy having the big break. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're not going to spend a ton of time. I think. Most people who listen to this show will understand that from a uh, a soccer perspective, this game does not really mean much. Uh, but we'll we'll go through some other interesting points of the game and, and cover the game real real quick here. So there's a, a few early chances from uh, Fagundes and Pochettino early on. Uh, I don't remember what minute the first goal was, like twenty something. Or maybe was it earlier than that? It was. I was probably about right. It wasn't super early because I was. Um, I just rewatched it like yesterday, and I kind of forgot about our early chances. Um, and then it was a bit before uh, before the first goal happened against us. Yeah, so that came off of a set piece. Um, I Romagna probably should 
have done better on this goal. I was watching it back and, and it did take a quick deflection that kind of led to, to him being wrong footed, but I still <laughs> feel like he should have maybe been a little bit tighter to, to Reyes on that one. Um, then in the 64th minute, Rodney Reyes ties it up one, one. And at that point I was like, Whoa, maybe, maybe we could get something out of this game. Uh, that was a, a really nice goal by Rodney, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was a banger, as they say. And the assist on that one was from Owen Wolf, correct? Yeah, sixteen years old. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he, um, yeah, Owen Wolf receives it midfield, plays it to Rodney Redis, who had kind of dropped in from the wing, and then Rodney takes it from there. Right? He he dribbles one guy as another guy is approaching. He hits it from. It was probably like twenty five yards, something like that. Maybe a little under that, but. Hits it really hard right inside the the left hand post. It was a really nice strike. Um, I don't think that Rodney had a great game, but that that play alone was really really nice. And I'm I'm kind of hoping that that uh, the confidence that that a play like that will give him, he can kind of carry that forward and maybe maybe turn it into to, to some better performances because he looked really good in preseason. And I I thought that I had been wrong about him it, just based on what he saw, we saw in preseason gets a little injury uh, right before the season starts. And Wolf has said that he, he kind of thinks that injury was the cause of, of Rodney's performances after that, but hopefully he can take the confidence from that goal and, and carry it forward. Um, I thought one of the nicest moments for us in FC out of the match was in the 68th minute. So Tarbell, um, we we're kind of playing it out of the back. Tarbell hits a driven ball to the center of the pitch to Pochettino. Uh, it, I think it bounced once and it was like a little over waist high. Pochettino jumps, kind of jumps in the air, uh, sticks his right foot out and kind of like claws the ball back behind him with his right foot, spins the other way and then carries the ball forward and kind of goes past, I think two guys were on him there and goes past two guys with that little move, which was really, really nice from him. He turns, plays a through ball to Manny Perez who gets the ball into the box. There's maybe a penalty shout on that. I don't think it should have been a penalty on the, on the second watch, but, um, but yeah, it, it ends up coming to nothing really there. I think a, a proper striker, like a real striker, on the end of that at least gets a shot off. It was there's defenders closing him in real tight and he was going to have to act really fast either way. But I, I think a real striker gets a shot on frame there, if, if not scores a goal. So that was really good from Pochettino there. Um, Tigres ends up scoring two really nice goals later on in the game to, to make it three one, uh, which I think was a fair, a fair score in the end. I don't, they did not embarrass Austin by any means, which with all of the injuries coming to this game, I kind of thought it could be a possibility. Austin was all an already thin roster playing their B team essentially. Uh, and I thought it could have gotten ugly, but Austin was in this for most of the game until those last couple of goals went in. So overall, I thought it was a pretty good performance from the players that went out. Um, some individual performances. Who are some of the players that, that stood out to you, Jeremiah? Well, I think, I think uh, Mane had some good moments. Um, you know, he had a shot. He had a pretty decent chance late. Uh, what, like eighty second minute or something? He had a shot. 
um, that that got that got saved. Um, I mean, he he ran a lot. He seemed to cause a lot of trouble. He was kind of what we think out of him. He was, you know, he he would have been better if he was in for twenty minutes, you know, near the end. But yeah, I, mean, I think it, I think he had a pretty decent outing. Yeah, he he did quite a few good things. I I still think with both him and Rodney that for every one good thing they did, they did two either uh, just like nothing things or bad things. And so I still don't know that either of those guys are net positives for the team, but it was good to see them shine a a little bit, even if it was for brief moments there. Um, What about uh, McKenzie Gaines, the the trialist? So uh, Austin FC fans watching this, this game would have seen a name on the roster who is not actually on the roster, which right. is Mackenzie Gaines. He's uh, 23 years old. I believe he just finished a contract in Germany and I guess just came back home to Austin. He came out of the Lone Star Academy, went straight into youth teams in Germany after that. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of a surprise to see him there. I don't think anybody knew he was on trial. I hadn't seen that anywhere or heard that anywhere. But he got, uh, I think, only like five or six minutes. Did did we see enough of him to even get an idea of how good he was? I I don't know that we did. I just think he's the kind of guy that we should have around, right? Like, there's just we're missing, just sort of league average depth, and uh, you know he seems like he's he's a forward, right? So that's a position of need for sure. So I mean, I'd like to like to keep him around and kind of see see what he can do and see if he can get a little action. You know, I think he's some maybe a Manny Perez type where. Um, you don't get a ton out of them, but you, I mean, they're so thin. They got to have players. So I was looking at roster spots and I think you've, you might have a better grasp of this than I do, but we don't have many roster spots left. And I think the spot that he could potentially fall into would be essentially the last non-senior roster spot that we have to fill. I believe that's right. I don't, cause there's like, uh, there's rules for each one, right? Like 21 through 24 means something, and then 25 through 28 yeah. means something, and then 29 and 30. And I think we have one 25 through 28 spot left, which it seems like he would fill. Yeah, it's like if they're cheap and below the age of 24 or 25 or something like that, which right. I, I believe he would probably be cheap and is 23 years old. So he could slot in there. Would we rather see some defensive depth with that piece there? Well, it depends upon uh, what. How do you feel about your man Freddie Kleeman, who got to see some action too? Because he's feeling Freddie. Freddie looked all right. Yeah, I, I was I was pleased with with his performance. I mean, he didn't play good enough to for me to think he should be getting a ton of minutes, but he looked competent enough to be on the bench and to get thrown into a game in a pinch. So, yeah, I, I thought Freddie looked okay. And so for, for me, I think if you look at Freddie and Aiden Stanley's been pretty decent with the, yeah. with the minutes he's gotten, if you take those guys, assume Lima comes back, like I think we've got just enough depth on the back line that we, we, could, we could use more depth still at, at forward. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, I was thinking we needed maybe one more guy who could play both center back and, uh, and fullback, but Aiden Stanley is that guy, right? Like, Aiden Stanley against Tigres played both left back and right back at points in the game. And then I believe, did he, did he move into center back in one of the, the most recent games? I don't know if he's played, he played center mid against Minnesota. I don't know. Maybe he played I made center that back up, too? but 
Um, I think he played some center back in college in any case, but uh, yeah, maybe Aiden Stanley is that guy. So with maybe with, with Freddie Kleeman and Aiden Stanley, maybe we are set and um, we're going to have, I believe in the post game press conference after this Tigres game, Wolf said that Lima should be back in two or three weeks. So maybe with those guys, the the back line is set. Um, What about, we mentioned Owen Wolf briefly earlier. What did you think about Owen Wolf? I mean, he got the assist. I don't think he looked lost. He was 16, right? I mean, he looked like a child. Physically, he looked yeah. like a child out there, but he didn't look completely over his head. What What did you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, looked great for a 16-year-old. Like, uh, if you throw in a 16-year-old against Liga Mekis competition, I think he did about as well as you could ever hope for. Yeah, well, what'd you think about uh, Tarbell with his first performance? I think Tarbell, Tarbell was okay. Um, I think we learned why Brad Stuver is the starter. Tarbell is is a fine shot stopper. Uh, I think I don't. I didn't see anything that made me think that he was just a lot worse than Bradley Stuver at just like the normal goalkeeping parts of being a goalkeeper. Um. But in his distribution, it looked like it was a major step down from what Stuver is able to do. Just uh, kind of being that calming presence in the back, uh, playing clean passes. There was one moment where we almost gave up a goal. I think it was in the first half, but he plays or kind of scuffs a pass, kind of switching the ball on that back line there. And it almost leads to a, to a goal for Tigres. But uh, yeah, I, I think... You, you've heard Josh Wolf and, and Claudio Arena talk about the calmness that that Stuver brings, and that's that's the first thing they say when they ask, like, why, like, what does Stuver bring? Why, why was he chosen as the starter? And I think you saw it in this game against Tigres, and I, probably unfair against Tarbell because he hasn't been playing a lot lately. But um, it, you can see a difference there between between those two keepers in this game. So this is going to be a weird thing that I thought I observed, but. Apparently, it's not true. Sarbel's, Tarbell seems really tall. Did you feel like I feel like he's really tall and really long arm? But actually, I went and looked, and he's the same size as Brad Stuver. So I don't know oh, why. I would have guessed maybe he's a little shorter than Stuver. Yeah, I don't know. They're both six three, according to Wikipedia. He's like a like a little beefier than Stuver. So maybe he, he's that. Stuver yeah. just looks longer because he's kind of skinny. Yeah, I don't know, but I, I, that's that's that was my observation on the games. Like I felt like his arms were really long. Was because he kept they kept there was a couple times when he like didn't quite cleanly save a ball and kind of went up high and he just had, he had like a big stretch. (laughs) Uh, I, I think I saw a maybe only one tweet about, um, like hinting at nepotism from Wolf playing his son in this game. Do you think there's any merit to that at all? Well, I, I mean, it's a little bit true, right? It's a little bit true in the sense of the familiarity. Like, would any other 16-year-old be around? I mean, he's obviously qualified, and he's like, he doesn't have a spot at our academy, and he doesn't really have anywhere else to play, so it makes sense that he's training with the team. But, you know, if he was the best 16-year-old at Vandergrift High School, I mean, I don't think he would have been on the field. Yeah, but I think that's less to do for less to do with him being Josh Wolf's son and more to do with what you just said, the fact that he was around. Like, he has been training with the first team. 
they haven't signed him. Like, I don't think Josh Wolf has any any delusions that Owen Wolf is going to be a starter for this team anytime soon or even be on the roster anytime soon. But I think we have so many injuries. The roster was so thin. Cecilio sat this game. Ring sat this game. Gallagher is out. Um, the, the normal list of long-term injuries was still there. And so we needed to rest players in this game, but didn't really have the depth to do it. And mainly in the midfield, like I didn't know how we were going to have enough players to play a midfield at all, much less make any subs. And so by bringing in Owen Wolf, boom, there's a midfielder you can give a chunk of minutes to and take, take some stress off of your, your starters. And so I, I honestly think that's all it was that I don't, I don't know that Wolf is trying to sneak his son into the team or anything. I think it was just like, we need somebody to eat some minutes. Who's around that can do it. Oh, and you're here. You do it. <laughs> and he looked, he looked competent. He looked good enough at it that it was, it's not like, well, like you said, he's not taking minutes away from somebody else that's sitting around and, and, and not there, you know? Right. And he played, he played in preseason games as well and looked perfectly competent in those games. And so if we hadn't seen those preseason games, it might make me think there's maybe a little bit more nepotism in it, but he looked perfectly fine in those preseason games. So I've got no problem for it. I was frankly thrilled to see his name on the roster just because we need somebody to play. We we couldn't play the same guys who've been playing all these minutes right now. So um, one thing about Owen Wolf, I've been very curious what they're going to do with him. So he is 16 years old. Austin FC is going to have a U17 team this fall. So right now we've got U13, U14, U15. They're going to be adding a U12 team and they'll add a U17 team. So they're going to take the current U15 team, bring in some some guys from the older year, just maybe probably from local academies, bring those guys in to create this U17 team. And I was kind of thinking like maybe Wolf will play on that team, but like maybe the level's a little bit too low for him at this point. He's like maybe too good to be playing on the U-17s, but not quite good enough to be on the first team. We're not going to have a U-19 team. But then I started looking into the rules and when Owen Wolf was born, he was born two days too, what is it, too early. Two days too old? He's two days too old to be on the U-17 team? Exactly, yeah. He was born like December 30th. And he needed to have been born January 1st to be eligible eligible for this U17 team. So even if they wanted to play him in the academy, he he can't. He's too old for the academy unless we magically form a U19 team, which is not going to happen. Which and we've, Yeah, we've not talked about it at all. Sure, it'd be nice to have like a USL side at this point. Right, yeah. And so I I'm curious if they'll maybe try to sign him to a first team contract and then loan him out next year. Or if he'll just go off somewhere else, I think he probably Atlanta has his homegrown rights. And so, uh, and his older brother is in the first team in Atlanta. Tyler Wolf is in the first team in Atlanta. So maybe he would go back to Atlanta and be a homegrown player there. I don't know. I, I, I would honestly like to see him stick around long enough to get onto the first team. Cause I think he's going to be a good player, but, um, I'm, I'm just very curious to see what happens with him. Um, so on the way to this game, I was a little bit a little bit nervous, and I think mainly this is due to circumstance. So we pulled into Oscar Blues, um, and as we pulled into that parking lot, the whole parking lot is filled with people in Tigres jerseys. We walk into the bar. It's almost 
all Tigres jerseys in there. And I was like, oh my God, is this going to only be Tigres fans at this game? We get into the game and it's not the case. I think we just happened to go to the place where a lot of the Tigres fans were meeting before the game. I think it ended up probably being, would you, would you guess like a few thousand, like three, four, five thousand Tigres jerseys, just looking at jerseys in the stadium? I would have guessed like 20%, which I think is probably about what that works out to. So yeah, you were at the place where the, I guess like the official fan club was at and where they did their, yeah. didn't they do a march? <laughs> they did like a march or something from there too. Yeah, I think. I think I must have missed that. I didn't see the march, but um, there were a lot of people in Tigres jerseys there. I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I severely underestimated how many Austin FC jerseys are going to be in this stadium tonight, but ended up not being that much. But one thing that I really noticed and really liked was a lot of the families that I saw both at Oscar Blues and in the stadium, like in line and the concourse, there's a lot of like mixed families where like the father would be wearing a Tigres shirt and his son would have an Austin FC shirt on. Or like uh, I saw a girl wearing a Tigres jersey and an Austin FC hat. And so I think in that way, it really was kind of just like a celebration of the game in that like this is my like my old team or like my my main team in Tigres, like this team that I've followed for a long time, but now there's a team in my hometown and I support that as well. And that seemed to be the case for a lot of these, these people who are at the game. Right. Yeah. And so you really felt like the, the it lived up to the spirit of the, 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 the match, right. It was supposed to be, I mean, there's a reason it's, it's a literal international friendly, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as like takeaways from the game, I thought that was just like, I don't know, it was like a little bit heartwarming just to see like, oh, this is like the beauty of of soccer, right? Like, like bridging borders and uh, kind of this generational gap as well, where these these families with some some members wearing different jerseys, but all going to the game together. Um, as far like, like I said before, I don't think we learn much from this game from a soccer perspective. But overall, I think this game did its job. I, uh, Austin got to show off its stadium and the the fan atmosphere to uh, Liga Mekki's audience who maybe wouldn't have been paying attention before. And the, the atmosphere is pretty good, right? So I think, check, they, they did a good job there. Tigres got to come to the U.S., do a little tour, further promote their brand in the U.S., and probably take home a decent chunk of chunk of American change with them when they when they went back to Mexico. So check. Did well there. Both teams got to uh, give some young guys some minutes who maybe needed some minutes but weren't quite ready for for playing for the first team. Check. Both teams got to do that. So overall, I thought it was a success. I I think the game was fun. I the atmosphere in the stadium was fun. So uh, I think overall it was yeah a success and did what it did what it was supposed to do. Yeah, I didn't I didn't go because we were out of town, so I watched it. Actually, ended up watching it twice on replay, and it was the the game environment was definitely. Uh, a lot better than I was afraid of. Like it was loud. Everybody was loud at the right moments, and you know, you you could hear the chants. The crowd went crazy when Rodney scored. I, mean, I thought it was a good, positive environment. I don't think there was a lot of, uh, you know, trouble in the stands or anything like that. Like it just seemed like yeah. a good, good old summer Tuesday night with soccer. And you know, that's a really good point you made about sort of the family thing because like that's not a, an experience either of us, either of us have, right? Like I didn't grow up watching a sport or a league, right. you know, at all. And so I, you know, I, you got to respect people's roots and sort of their family and what they've grown up with. So it was good to see overall. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, should we cut to that interview with Jeremiah O'Shan now, Jeremiah? Yeah, let's Other do that. Jeremiah? <laughs> other Je- yeah, let's let's preview the Seattle match and then we can come back and talk a little bit more about uh, other Austin news and sort of expectations going forward. 
All right, sounds good. We'll we'll be back in one moment. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. You can go to fbf.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, we are joined by Jeremiah O'Shan, who is the editor for Sounder at Heart. Jeremiah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm very excited. The only way I know Moon Tower is from Days and Confused. So <laughs> yeah. I'm excited that and I, I guess and that that is an Austin story, right? Yeah, it's a it's a real a real thing where these I, I think it's kind of got like a dark history, the origins of it, but it's kind of this weird old relic of of like old school Austin that's still around. There's still a few of them in the city. So uh, it, oh, nice. it gets referenced in various business names, and then a lot of people outside of Austin know it from Dazed and Confused. So we we thought it would be a good little moniker to throw on our podcast. Well, I oh, I approve. I approve. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And I guess yeah, you hit this the origin story of the show because we've got McConaughey and we've got Austin and we've got right. soccer. So hey. n- nothing sums it up like Moon Tower. There you go. All right. So uh, Jeremiah, tell us a little bit about the history of the club. I think people who pay attention to MLS will will know quite a bit about the Sounders over the last few years. But what is kind of the the overall story from the beginning of, of the Sounders? So, uh, you know, it's, it is, it's funny outside of Seattle, this seems to be somewhat controversial, but we do trace our history back to uh, 1974 in the NASL. And, uh, and, and what's funny about that, and which I think gives us a little bit of, clarity in doing that is that there are genuine connections back to that team it's not just the name it's you know there's uh you know the the owner of the team adrian hanauer uh, was a fan of that team but even beyond that brian schmetzer played for the for the right. old sounders they continue to have a lot of uh players that were involved with those old teams that were that are involved in the organization now and you can really trace a a through line all the way from from those days of 1974 uh actually a guy named jimmy gabriel uh, was someone who who was a, a a real embodiment of that. He was on that original team. He ended up actually being a player coach for the NASL Sounders. He was involved in bringing the Sounders back the first time in 1994, 93, 94. And uh, and when they were in the A League slash USL, and then he he was involved with the with the team kind of on the periphery, but uh, was involved in the team all the way through MLS. And you can kind of do that with a lot of figures uh maybe not quite that cleanly of a of a through line but you can you can draw a lot of connections back to those old uh 1974 original sounders you know uh, brian schmetzer not only played for the uh outdoor sounders but he played for the indoor sounders and and um and was really influential in, in making sure that there was soccer uh continuously from you know all the way from you know the the folding of the of the NASL, I think, in, in or the team in '83, and they had various iterations of of teams, and and then they really were reborn in '94 with uh, with the A League. They won. They actually won two titles during those uh, pre MLS years, those brief pre MLS years, and and they continued to be a reasonably successful, if not highly attended, team in the USL, and they actually have a lot of connections still to those to those USL teams. 
Uh, you know, they, there's coaches that, you know, Tom Jucha, who's the Sounders goalkeeper coach, was actually uh, played for those those USL teams. Uh, you know, like Zach Scott was probably the most famous of the of the MLS Sounders to, to make it through. But they had a, a bunch of players that that came through there. And I, and I bring all this up because there is this real culture that uh, the Sounders have really embraced, especially under Brian Schmetzer. And it, it and it's, you know, this idea that they aren't just a collection of, you know, mercenaries who show up and and play soccer on the weekend, but that they are embedded in the community. And, the, and there are quite a few players that, that come back here after their playing days, even if they didn't retire here uh, either as coaches or, or frankly, just to be part of the community. I mean uh, you know, you can, you, you can kind of look around and, it, and it's amazing how many of the local academies have, have former sounders uh, either running them or coaching for them. You know, another recent example is a guy named Wade Weber who is the Tacoma Defiance coach? He he never played for the Sounders in the uh, in the NESL days, but he he did play for them in the A League, and he came to MLS. He was a guy from Federal Way. He actually was a uh, an advanced history teacher, and then he got into coaching, and he was running academies, and now he's at the Defiance. and And you can kind of find a lot of examples like that, and I think that's kind of one of the things that's made following the Sounders a lot of fun is that there is this real sense of culture and history that feels a little bit more than a crest or a color or whatever it is. And, and so it's been, it's been fun uh, getting to learn about that. I, I myself am a, a Seattle uh, import. I, I moved here in 2009 and sort of kind of learned all this stuff on the fly, but it's been, it's been fun. Yeah, A more, more recent player who, who kind of spanned, different generations is Freddie Montero who recently came yeah. back. He was is the all-time leading scorer for, for the organization. Is that right? Yeah. So that's a, that's actually a, a really great example. Uh, you know, here's a guy who came to MLS in in 2009 as like kind of this up and coming Colombian player who was open about his dreams of playing in Europe. Uh, he played here for four seasons. He ends up kind of wanting to, try his luck in Europe, even though he wasn't necessarily at the height of it, things weren't going all the way he wanted to go. So he ended up going on a short loan back to Colombia. Then he was able to get a a loan to uh, sporting CP in uh, Portugal. And he actually ended up having a pretty nice little career in in Portugal. And then he played in, in China. And uh, then he came back to MLS, but he had maintained a home in the Seattle area. He ended up marrying a, a Seattle woman uh, had children with them so that he had this connection here and then this in this last preseason he so badly wanted to come back and play in and kind of play his last few years with the founders that he apparently agreed to take a league minimum contract it's <laughs> it's kind of surreal we thought that was a typo when it came out but uh i've been assured that he is in fact on a like eighty two thousand dollars salary and this is a guy who was a designated player last year making you know 1.3 million dollars and he just wanted to he wanted to come home essentially and this is what he considered home so uh, yeah, he was the all-time leading scorer for the Sounders. Uh, he had he had just barely held on to that uh, Clint Dempsey on his last kick of a soccer ball for the Sounders. Actually, hit a ball off the post uh, from midfield that uh, left him with tied on all-time goals with uh, with Freddie Montero. <laughs> and uh, now Raul Rui Diaz is is breathing down his neck though, and it looks like he he may even pass him this year. Uh, but it's been. Yeah, Freddie Montero has been kind of a nice surprise. He's been not, uh, he's not been starting all the time, but he has made some starts, and you can definitely see elements that like he's one of those players that if you can get him in a in a good time 
you know, he can, he can put in a solid shift. You know, I don't think the Sounders are going to rely on him to score 10 goals, but you know, he might end up with 10 combined goals and assists goals and assists. And uh, you know, that would be pretty good for a guy who's on a minimum salary. Yeah. So it's not technically the same organization all the way through, but as you mentioned, lots of through lines and Brian Schmitzer being one of them. I, I didn't, I heard an interview with him a few years back and I didn't realize that he had such a long history with, with the Sounders and with this, this uh, with Seattle soccer, but he's, very highly respected in Seattle and, and throughout MLS, I feel like, at least now. I think maybe a lot of people yeah. underrested him, underestimated him for a while, but he's clearly built a really good culture there in Seattle. Uh, I think coming into this season, expectations were not super high for Seattle. I think with missing Jordan Morris, uh, with um, Nico Ladero coming into the season with injury, with some other guys maybe missing, I think a, the general consensus was – Seattle is probably not going to be great to start the season, but they're Seattle. They'll bring in a few key pieces and they're going to be really good by the end of the season. And they'll, they'll be playoff contenders for sure. And and probably make a deep run in the playoffs, but that's not what happened. Seattle has been really good from the start. So what, how has this team been able to be so good with so many key players missing? You know, that, that is a great question. And uh, I'll, I'll add that, even among Sounders fans, I think there was a lot of skepticism about this season because they're just, you know, you look at the, on paper, there were a lot of glaring holes. You know, they, 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 they let go of three highly influential veterans last year. They were missing Freddie Montero. They didn't, or they were missing Jordan Morris. They didn't replace them with real obvious replacements. You know, Freddie Montero, there were questions about how much he had left in the tank. Kellen Rowe, another local kid uh, coming home. And there was a lot of questions about what he really had left. And, and it's all kind of come together. And I think Montero and Rowe, and then the other guy that they signed in the offseason is a guy named Spencer Ritchie, who's a goalkeeper, who's another local kid. And he's not someone that was expected to have a huge influence, but I think all three of them sort of fit into a theme of bringing guys in who understood the culture, who understand the region, who wanted to play for the badge, so to speak. And I think that speaks to the culture of, of what Brian Schmetzer has created. And he's really created this idea that like, it's not okay to have a, you know, a down season. It's not okay. It shouldn't be acceptable for us to just kind of get by uh, around the playoff line and then make a run at the end of the year. We should be expecting, we should hold ourselves to a higher standard. And I think, you know, there are some tactical shifts that they've made. It's not all, you know, uh, rainbow. It's not all like fairy dust and, and rainbows. There's actual some meat there, but I do think that that part of it is, sort of this ethos that he's just kind of got everyone to buy into that there's no such thing as what was us, you know, they had 13 uh, first team players that were eligible for this last game and they went in, you know, he, you know, he, he doesn't sit there and say like, Oh, one zero loss was a good effort. You know, he's, you know, he, he wanted that. He wanted three points from the Minnesota game. He was disappointed. And the attitude is, yeah, we have a game on Thursday and we got to figure out how to, how to win that one too. It's not just lick our wounds and, and try to keep it together. It's, it's like, how do we, you know, continue on this run? So I, I think a lot of the credit has to go to Brian Schmetzer and, and sort of the ethos. But I, I also think that there was this understanding of, you know, but maybe a, I think in some ways the, the roster forced him to think differently about how to, use them tactically and they really did lean into this idea of like what's what's the best formation for the personnel that we have and I think they saw the the three center back formation as being sort of a a nice bedrock for being able to exploit the strengths that they still had in the middle of the field and they've they've really done that you know they they've allowed you know Jao Paulo to to dictate the game a lot 
they they lean really heavily on uh, Jamar Gomez Andrade on on one side. They were really leaning into Nuhu on the left, and then uh, and and then just sort of you know they they saw Alex Roldan was probably a, a useful as a wing back, although he you know he's looked great as a all over the place for El Salvador, which I think is kind of speaks to the confidence that he's gained. Uh, Brad Smith is a has been a pretty decent left wing back, and Raul Rui Diaz is is still a great forward. So you know, I think they just kind of leaned into their strengths, and and I think that sometimes a lot of coaches just overthink, like they they get in their head a little bit about you know they forget that the whole point of this is to get the most out of your players. It's not to like impress someone on film. Well, so I want to ask about the, you mentioned the 13 players healthy uh, and this game coming up on Thursday. Like what, what changes do you expect to see? Do you, are there people coming back? Do you have any idea who's going to be back? Like what is, what is the Sounders line going to look like? Yeah. There, so uh, Javier Arriaga got a, a yellow, yellow card. So he's out on uh, accumulation for this game. So they may actually only have 12. Uh, now they're going to end up signing. So like for this last game, they signed two uh, players on hardship, you know, extreme hardship deals or whatever, which are four day contracts that they're able to bring in some Tacoma defiance players. So this last game, they brought in two guys. They might end up bringing in three, I suppose for this, for this next one. But uh, you know, their, their bench this last game was uh, the most experienced MLS player outfield player in this game was Josh Atencio. <laughs> and this is a guy who has, I don't know, 300 MLS minutes, maybe less than 300 MLS minutes. And uh, it was a bunch of teenagers. And then this guy, Sam uh, Adenarin, who uh, is, is actually from Houston and uh, had, had never played in MLS before, but he'd been playing kind of in like lower leagues in Europe and is on the defiance. Uh, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, new who is a, there's a chance he comes back for this game, but honestly, I'm not expecting him back. It, it would be kind of a, you know, unless he was really close to traveling and they just decided that it was better to use that, spot on a hardship signing maybe that was how it how it broke down but you know they didn't sound super enthusiastic about the possibility of him coming i suspect that there's if there's any doubt that they'll just hold him out for the for the weekend game against sporting kansas city so yeah they may only have 12 healthy outfield players on the first team and then they may have to fill out the roster with with uh some tacoma defiance players uh which will be very interesting because uh if they stick with the three back formation, they would basically be forced to to do something like play Josh Atencio there. And Atencio did play some center back back in 2019 when he was with the defiance. But the reason he's not playing center back anymore is because they didn't think that was a particularly good position for him. So uh, it will be interesting to see what they, what they do here. So you mentioned some of the key players before um, one of them, being Jao Paulo, who's a player that I absolutely love. I, I really like watching oh, that yeah, guy play is, are there any players that um, that need to to step up, or that like Austin Austin fans should keep an eye on for this game coming up? Well, I'll tell you, if for no other reason than he's going to end up starting because he has to. Danny Leva is an he's an eighteen year old kid who uh, a couple years ago he he got a bunch of starts, and it was a kind of a big deal that the sixteen sixteen year old was was getting starts for uh, a team that considered themselves an MLS cup contender. Although at the time when he was getting those starts, the Sounders weren't really playing well, but he's, he's sort of, he's not really flashy. He, he completes a lot of passes. He doesn't necessarily do a ton defensively, but he's good at, you know, closing down passing lanes and that kind of thing. But that's, you know, that's one player uh, that it may be worth watching just because it's, it's interesting to, to view from, uh, him being an 18 year old and he's going to be starting for a supporter shield leading team. Josh Atencio, similarly, I imagine he'll 
end up having to start too. Uh, and yeah, I guess the other one that might be worth watching, and this is the reason I, I like him. I've really fallen in love this year with Jimmy Madranda. He's a player who your your listeners may know because he had a kind of like star turn at Sporting uh, Kansas City three or four years ago, and then he got hurt, and he's been struggling with injuries, and he really hadn't played for for basically two years. And the Sounders got him in a trade that was he was seen really as sort of a make weight uh, when they traded Hondwal Buana, who was a homegrown player to Nashville. And, and they also got Jimmy Madranda in a bunch of allocation money. And Madranda was really not seen as a key component of this trade. And, you know, here we are a year later and it looks like Madranda may actually be the single best element that was traded in, in that transaction. And he's a high energy player. He gets up and down the line. He's not necessarily fast, but he's, he's really, solid technically and uh and he's someone who can score a goal uh, if given a chance but he's he's someone that i would keep an eye on for sure if i'm an austin fc fan so going into this game on thursday i'm i austin fc also has a very thin roster right now partly because it's an expansion team but i think we've got six long-term injuries and this friendly we played against tigres last week uh three or four other guys sat and we ended up playing 16-year-old Owen Wolf, who's actually not even on the roster against them. So I think Seattle might be the only team in MLS who has more players out than Austin right now. What <laughs> what do you see in this game? Like, what, what are you expecting to see? Or is there anything that Austin does that you think could potentially give, uh, give Seattle trouble in this game? I mean, I, I think Austin gave the Sounders plenty of trouble uh, in, the, in the first meeting, and that was in Seattle. So I, I would not be at all surprised to see Austin you know, come out and maybe even dominate possession. You know, I know you guys uh, are much more, you know, at, at times you, you guys put on a really good show. You, you just, you know, whooped Portland, which we were very familiar, which we were, we were watching with, with glee, I suppose, uh, which yes, we are petty like that. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Austin come out and, and sort of dominate possession. And the Sounders have not, even at their best this year, they haven't, really done a, had a ton of possession actually weirdly against Austin was one of their highest possession games, but they didn't create right. a whole lot of danger in that. I one. think that was the first and, game that Austin didn't win the possession battle and might've been, and the, it first may have been the first one that the Sounders did. won the possession yeah. battle. Yeah. It was a very, it was kind of not what we expected in that one. Although the Sounders did kind of come in with the idea that they were going to dominate possession in that game, partly because they were really frustrated with the previous game against Atlanta where they, they felt like they got pinned back too much, but um, yeah, it, it, It'll be an interesting one for sure. Uh, I, I think that the, the the matchup between, I assume uh, Brad Ring is playing, but the matchup between him and uh, and Jao Paulo, I think, is fascinating. Yeah, for sure. They're a very different players of the of the same position. Uh, right, and they they're going to end up occupying a lot of the same space. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, that's that's a good uh, a good thing to watch out for. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what's going to happen in this one. Austin will likely be missing some attacking talent, which means we may have to start Kutamane again, which he's Well, he's had he's had some success against the Sounders. I don't know if you know that, but he's he's like an inordinate percentage of his goals. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. I did not know that, but yeah. he's I I have not been the biggest Kutamane fan this year and don't really look forward to games where he has to start but uh I'd rather have Gallagher in there but I'm not sure he's going to be back yet but uh but yeah hopefully it it it's better than uh than a nil-nil draw again but 
um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting matchup, mainly because of all the players missing for both both sides. But uh, yeah, good good luck to you guys. Not too much, but uh, but yeah, th- th- yeah, thanks so much for joining us, Jeremiah. This was this was great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing what Austin looks like at least on TV one of these days. I hope to get out there and and see a game. Uh, fingers crossed that that's uh, that'll be possible sooner than later. But uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it will be fun. Seems like you guys put on a great show over there, and and it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, let us know if you ever make it, and we'll be happy to buy a beer. Oh yes, well there you go. That that seals the deal for me. <laughs> but uh, no, but seriously, thanks for having me on, and uh, you guys do great work. I appreciate it. I ain't got no time. All right. We want to thank Jeremiah O'Shan one more time for joining us. Uh, he's if if y'all don't aren't familiar with Jeremiah, he's one of the guys covering the Sounders. Has been doing it for quite a while. And so uh, if you want to find any other information about the Sounders, it's definitely a good spot to go. Uh, let's jump into some other Austin FC news, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Bentley, my Jeremiah. Uh, so Eric Goodman wrote an article in Austin Chronicle recently asking if the honeymoon phase at Austin FC is ending. So why don't you read this, this quote here that you have written? Yeah, I think the 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 money quote out of this said, so far the atmosphere at Q2 has been electric regardless of the outcome on the pitch. The club supporters have flat out brought it for all 90 minutes each time out, and players and coaches both home and visiting have been blown away. But those fans cannot and should not be expected to remain this engaged if the team shows it can't hang at an MLS level. The honeymoon phase is coming to an end, and it's time for the Oaks to start sprouting some W-shaped roots in this city. And I thought that was a interesting opinion to have. Um, what, what was your original take on that? Yeah, it, it's it's interesting, and I think we are kind of discussing this before we started recording and you mentioned that there are probably two different camps in this, right? Like two different sets of responses you're going to get. And the, the folks over in the supporters section, they're, they're going to be there no matter what this season and probably no matter what next season. But what about the rest of the stadium? The, the people who aren't over in the South end, do you think this is accurate for, for the other 18,000 or however many it is. Yeah, I think that's what made this article interesting to me is like our friends and the people that we've talked to on Twitter all the time are the people in the supporters section who thought this is like an absurd, you know, take. And I think some of them even might have called Eric out on it, you know, <laughs> on on Twitter, which and I th- he responded to, which was good. But I mean, I think there's some credibility to that. You know, Austin's blessed to have this giant wait list. But uh, there's an au- article in Austonia this week about how Q2 Stadium is the biggest party in Austin. And I think that you know, if we finish 11th or 12th this year, you know, don't score many goals um, and don't show a lot of progress in the offseason. I can see some of those people that are kind of the folks that just come for the party and come for the good time, you know, come because it's the thing to see and be seen. I can see some some flagging in that support and some of those. I don't think that Austin's in danger of not selling out every match, but I can see next July on a Wednesday night, if we're in 10th place, like not everybody being there. You know, a lot of people passing on their seats because there's some other fun, interesting thing to do in town. Yeah, I think that's totally accurate. Um, I think one thing going in Austin's favor is, and I, I've said this from for a while now, is that if Austin FC can create a good atmosphere, you mentioned the biggest party in town, if they can create a fun atmosphere that people like coming to, 
regardless of if we win the game or not. If it's just fun in there, I think people will come back. If it's just absolutely terrible soccer time after time after time, it is, it's going to, it's going to decline a little, but I think part of what makes it a party atmosphere is the supporter section, right? And so if you have that dedicated aspect of the field, even if there are parts of the rest of the stadium who might start losing interest, that party atmosphere atmosphere will be there as long as the supporter section is bringing it, which is not the case at all MLS teams, right? And so I think there's a slight advantage there, but uh, I, I think the team needs to at least be competitive or needs at least needs to consistently make or flirt with the playoffs for these first few years to keep that interest high. Otherwise, it will start declining for sure. Yeah, another part of that too, I think, is if we were losing these games 5-3 and 4-2 right. and 4-3, yeah. it would be very different than, than you know, uh, 70% of our goals coming in the Denver and Portland matches. You know, right. I think I- that's... Yeah, Austin's not been blown out really yet, right? So I, uh, I didn't. Re- I was reading Phil West's um, recap of the Tigres game. That's the first time a team has scored three goals on us. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think every other, like the most we've given up is is two in any other game, which is crazy to think about. Um, so one thing that Austin needs to do to make sure they don't lose every game and start start losing attendance is they need to sign some more players to, to be able to score those goals. We haven't really heard many rumors lately, right? Like the windows open, we got the, the GTA signing, but since then it's kind of been crickets. Um, one, one thing that I don't think this is ever a possibility and we can talk about that, but, uh, Joseph Martinez was kind of in a, in a, an argument with their manager, Gabriel Heinze, Heinz has now been fired, so maybe Joseph will end up sticking around for a few years. But uh, I saw some people saying, maybe half joking, but definitely saying, like, we should get Joseph Martinez. Is that even possible? Uh, I, I don't, that kind of in, in league transfer? Like, I don't, like, not, I not even, I can't think, not even like on the, like, oh, that'll never happen, but like, literally, yeah. like, is it possible? To, to make a transfer of that stature within MLS. Right, because when when Atlanta signed Joseph Martinez, he wasn't Joseph Martinez, basically, right? And I mean, we also brought him in from from out of the league. And so yes. it's, you don't see stars moving within MLS unless they're like a little bit older and they're moving to a team to... to it's like Walker Zimmerman is a huge move within MLS. Alex Ring is a big move within MLS. But Joseph Martinez is on a different level from those guys. And just like taking into account the amount of GAM or the kinds of players you would have to trade to make that happen, I don't see it happening. And maybe that would be the only way it would happen if you were throwing players into the mix and saying like, okay, we're going to give you our whole starting front line plus 5 million in GAM, which I don't think we have that much, (laughs) but like – it would have to be something outrageous like that that's never happened in the league before. And so I don't think Joseph is going to go to another MLS team if he does leave Atlanta, but I also just don't think it's even possible that like possible for that to happen. Yeah, the biggest deal that I can think of, and I just looked it up, and it's nowhere close to that, was Darlington Nagby going from Atlanta to Columbus. That was like a million, and I think. A, yeah, of course, it's three different types of numbers, but it's a little over a million dollars and an international roster spot. And it's the only DP that I can think of 
that's even moved within the league that, that comes out the top of my mind. So yeah, that's probably uh, unlikely and impossible. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned the one signing we have made in this window, Musa Jite. So Jeremiah and I earlier tonight, we're recording this on Monday night. Uh, earlier tonight, we went on Soccer Matters with Glenn Davis, his radio show, and Aiden Stanley was on just before us. And so we called him the line and we're listening on the phone to Aiden Stanley's interview. And Glenn asks Aiden Stanley about Musa Jite and if he's in town yet. And Aiden <laughs> gives like a non-answer answer saying like, Oh, well, like I'm, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to answer that or something right. like that, which yeah. I, I read that as like Jite's in town, right? Yeah. That's what I, that took to me net too. I feel like if, if you could have seen him, Aiden Stanley's <laughs> probably staring off somewhere looking for permission to answer or not answer. But yeah, the way he kind of clammed up and then I, I appreciate that Glenn realized he had pushed it as far as he should yeah. and just kind of like shut it down too. Glenn, Glenn backed off. He didn't want to put pressure. And so, and so we, we of course stepped in and put that pressure right back on. Right. Sorry, Aiden Stanley. <laughs> so we believe that Aiden Stanley has seen Musa Jite in training and just didn't want to be the person to break that news. Yeah. So that's, that's a good signing. I, uh, a good sign. I was getting a little bit worried. I mean, We've said this before. We need to kind of tamper expectations and and give Jite some time to to settle in. We shouldn't expect him to to slot in. And honestly, if he's getting in town this late, I don't think we could even expect him to start this game against Seattle. But now that he's here, if if he's here, it's Monday now. If he even got here yesterday, trains a few days, we could maybe see him come off the bench in that game. So I think that's a really good sign. Hopefully, we will get to see him uh, get get his first minutes. And just from a depth perspective, I think we're going to be missing uh, Gallagher might still be out. Pereira might still be out. And so we're going to be pretty thin again. We're going to need some more players. And so even if he can give us 15, 20 minutes at the end of the game, that's that's awesome. And it would be very useful for for Josh Wolf right now. Yeah, one of the things we're going to get caught on health is that Josh Wolf's press conference is at 115 tomorrow which That's is right. right after this comes out which is when maybe we'll have some of that information so i guess um maybe maybe we should one of us should probably attend and tweet it out so we can have an, a written addendum to whatever we say here yeah yeah for sure um uh, yeah we'll get almost definitely get some news about some of those things hopefully all of them um one other little thing that we've we've kind of been meaning to talk about over the last few shows and kept running out of time but austin uh, Q2 Stadium seemed to be having some issues with the turf. And so in the 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 opening game of Q2 Stadium, which was the women's national team, there were some issues happening. The first Austin game, there were some issues. And then for the second game, you saw there were some stretches of the pitch that had actually been replaced before the game against Columbus. Uh, and still some like some pretty big divots being made. Um I I think you're the one who who I heard saying this first, Jeremiah, but this grass was made for drought climates, right? And so hot summer, drought climate, this is the grass for Austin. But then it rained for a month straight. And so do we think that's what caused the turf to be in such bad bad shape? I feel like that has to be one of the factors that that it was, I mean, the, the grass is also being used in Qatar for the World Cup, right? And so it's uh, not necessarily set up for the wettest May um, in Austin history. And I thought maybe it resolved a little bit because I felt like against LA, it fared fine. 
Yeah, still, better, better than before. Still like a little soft. There were some divots, but it was in. I don't think it was hindering play necessarily. Um, there weren't chunks coming up. There's like in that first game, they're like literally like it looked like carpet sliding up off of off of the ground underneath it. And that wasn't happening anymore. So still a little bit soft, but I thought it, it was still playing quite well against LAFC. So I thought maybe it was like, okay, maybe they're making a turn, but uh, Weston Applefeller didn't think so because earlier or last week they ripped up the whole thing and, and laid down entirely new sod. And so um, have we seen the information about whether or not it's the same kind of grass or did, did they put something else in? So I haven't seen even we've seen the pictures uh, on Reddit and then in Slack of this of the of the sand, but I haven't actually seen pictures of the side back down. So I mean, I'm assuming it's back down. Um, I, I saw some rolls. There was some, somebody posted a picture of like a truck with a bunch of rolls of sod on it. Yeah, so I would think it would have to be the same. I mean, they made this decision based upon long term conditions and climate, and I have to think they wouldn't just <clears throat> bail out on that choice, you know, this quickly after a few matches. So they've they must have trucked some more in from Arizona or, or wherever, and they're giving it another go. So we'll see um, on Thursday how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it beds in well enough to to uh, to play on Thursday. Um, some other interesting news that came out last week is was it Sportico? Is that the publication that released these? I don't remember which one it was. I think it was called it's one sports, of these sports business Sportico, but like a sports business publication but they came out with mls team valuations and austin fc was ranked 10th in this list um i was it like 500 some odd million was the austin valuation there yep yep that was it was huge and especially when you think about mls valuations compared to some other big clubs around the world which is probably a topic we don't have time to get into but you know mls clubs are very very valuable Largely because of the closed system, I think, and also because of the. Um, I mean, I guess for Austin, it has to be because it's not only the club; it's the club and the stadium. Yeah, right. I think the the newer facilities has a lot to do with it, and then also just the upside of the business. Like, if you buy a Premier League team, you're not going to make much more money than you already are. But buying an MLS team, you expect in the years to come, this will be a much more uh, a much more lucrative business to be in. And so I think that's part of it as well. There's a lot of people on, on Twitter saying that these numbers are inflated. Uh, the, like these aren't real numbers. Don't, don't read too much into this. Do you think that's true? Like, are these numbers legitimate? They seem legitimate to me. I mean, if you think about the fact that there's a 200 and whatever million dollar stadium, a $50 million training facility, and then the you can assume that the team's worth at least what the what an expansion fee is. Then I mean that's a whole that's a whole bunch right there. I mean that's what six hundred million dollars just among those three things in value. So I can believe that 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 Austin's worth that. Yeah, and it's one of these things where it's not like you can go to the store, like go to a handful of stores and and see like how much is an MLS team running these days. Like it's it's not part of the the basket of goods or whatever that like economists calculate it's it's a one-time thing and it's worth whatever someone will pay for it and so i don't know what this total ended up being or if we'll ever know what the actual number was but i think orlando city uh just got sold and i think that was supposed to be somewhere between 400 and 450 million um 
I Same for Houston. Houston was about 400 too. Yeah. So in Houston, you don't even get to own the stadium with that. that the, the stadium belongs to the county. And so you would have to guess if Houston is being sold for that much money, then like maybe Austin is worth 530 or 550 or whatever it is. And maybe LAFC is worth 800 million or whatever. Like I like in the end, I don't think these numbers matter that much. It's all kind of made up, but yeah, it's, it's worth what one billionaire is willing to pay for it. And so, uh, yeah, I don't, it's, if, if nothing else, I think we can look at, look at it and say that people who are valuating these clubs, it'll at least be like within the context of the league. And so even if Austin FC is not worth 550 million, it is still seen as one of the top 10 most valuable, valuable clubs in the league. And so, uh, I think that goes to just kind of the asset that is the city of Austin, that stadium and the team that's been built so far. It doesn't really mean anything on the pitch. It doesn't mean anything to a fan. Uh, it's more of like a bragging rights kind of like, I don't know that we get anything out of that. Right. Like it's just to say like, we're more important than 20 other teams. <laughs> it was, and it's better to be that than to be 25th or, yeah. <laughs> or, or 23rd or whatever. Right. All right. Um, one other thing we wanted to mention is all-star voting is happening now. And I think when the, this comes out, there'll be one or two more days left in all-star voting. So we need you to go and vote and get Bradley Stuver in this all-star team. It has to happen. has to happen. And so voting, I think you're technically allowed to vote once per day. Um, Some, some unscrupulous individuals might go online and find that if you do it in an incognito browser, that it lets you vote unlimited times. We're not recommending you do that. And I myself would never do that. Jeremiah would never do that. He's a, he's a respectable man. So we would never do that. We would not recommend you do that. But um, if if there are some, yeah, I, I, I could see some people who have uh, deep who have, love for Bradley in their hearts. And no and, morals. And, and, and no, you know, regard for the rules. Yeah. Then you could go into incognito and vote on as many times as you want for Bradley Stuver. Yep, and you only need to do it until uh, 2 a.m. on Thursday the 22nd is actually when it closes because it closes at 11.59 Pacific time. Yeah, so the way this works is there's going to be like, I think a third of the team is fan votes, a third is media votes, and then I think like, is it players? I think players. Yeah, current players. Current, current players, players get a vote. So I think there's a decent chance Stuver gets into the team. Is there anybody else from this team that, a, you think deserves it, and B, actually has a chance of getting into the team. Well, I think Alex Ring might possibly deserve it, and I think of anybody else, he's got the best chance just because he's the most well-known name on a league-wide basis. And so for those people that are voting, like I may have voted a bunch of times for 10 Austin players and Carlos Vela because I could not put my... <laughs> I just couldn't bring myself to put Rodney Redis. Rodney Redis or Kakuta Mane. <laughs> yeah, on, on the All-Star team. So I just I had to like have like one ounce of soul. So I can see some other people doing that and maybe maybe picking Ring. How about what what do you think? Do you have a guy? Well, I think that's exactly right. I think Ring is the only one with a shot. I don't know that he'll end up making it. One thing that maybe gives him a better shot is uh Gianluca Busio is rumored to be on the verge of a move to Italy. And so he's one of the guys that like might get that 
that uh, central midfield spot in the all-star team. If he leaves, maybe ring is one of the guys that slots into that. I think if he has, um, well, actually voting is going to be over the fan voting, but there's still the other, like the media vote and the player vote, I think will still go on after that. So I think if he has a strong few games between now and then Alex ring def- definitely has a, a chance to be in that team. All right. Anything else before we wrap up Jeremiah? No, I feel like we've we've covered about everything there is to talk about this week. All right. We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you we, – we've been meeting just like at the games, at soccer events, meeting lots of people who listen to the show that we've never gotten to meet in person before, and that's been a lot of fun. I got to meet uh, – Samuel Mintz, who is Samuel Mintz, amateur dumbass on Twitter. He's got the best Twitter name. Good follow there. Uh, I met a guy named David at the event we did with Adrian Healy a few weeks ago. So it's really great after this year and a half of being trapped in our homes to get to go out and listen or go out and meet the people who have been listening to the podcast. So um, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. So if you know someone you think you might enjoy it, let them know about it. Tell them to subscribe. Tell them to check out an episode. If you want to continue the soccer conversation, you can find us on Twitter at LVAHero87 and at jbentley underscore ATX. And then we're also on Instagram and Twitter at MoontowerSoccer. Jeremiah, is there any articles from the Striker Texas that, that people should check out this week? Well, our friend Phil West wrote an article dedicated <laughs> to the Austin FC fan Facebook group. And I would never recommend that anybody spend too much time on the Facebook group itself. And I think, Landon, you said, like... You're only going I, to read Phil articles about oh yeah, it. And Phil, Phil was like texting us, referencing things he read in there. I was like, Phil, if you want me to read it, you're going to have to write another story about it because that's the only way I'm dipping in there. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, Phil, Phil's story was good. And it was, you know, a lot of it was around the debate about other countries and opposing colors in the supporters section, which we can talk about over a beer sometime because there's a whole lot to unpack. And, you know, Facebook brings out the worst in all of us. But Phil's article is interesting for sure and worth a read. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will cover the latest in Austin FC news, and we'll also recap the Seattle Sounders match. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. No one is around.